What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you another packed episode of everything that's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my trusty co-host, who I'm going to walk into a field and blow up, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on, man? How much, man? We're here another day. We are here another day, but no longer is Daft Punk here another day. And for those who haven't seen Daft Punk's epilogue, video go check it out because that's what i'm referring to i'm not going to actually blow dave up but today daft punk announced that they're uh ending they're no longer a duo or an, a musical act and they did it in very daft punk fashion where their robot forms in a eight minute video walked into a deserted field i guess just the desert and uh one of them blew up uh dave pretty shocking we haven't really heard much from daft punk other than some collaborations some production side of things in quite a while haven't released an album since 2013 is it 2013 maybe even earlier was it 20 2013 yep yeah so what was your reaction just hearing that this legendary duo was calling the quits yeah i mean obviously surprising news not something anyone expects and i think that's because Daft Punk can just vanish without a trace like they often do and have done. And no one pays it any mind. They assume we assume they'll be back when they're back, right? Mm -hmm. They're in their late forties at this point. They literally vanished as soon as they swept the Grammys in twenty fourteen for the last album, Random Access Memories. So the fact that they're actually confirming that they're broken up, especially like a in a produced fashion, mm -hmm. I think lends yourself to two thoughts they're either really just done and over with and gonna retire i guess or go solo whatever it is um or they're just setting themselves up for some like comeback tour in the years to come but they're also not the biggest touring act so um i think because of the production side of it and their like general like anonymity and how they conduct themselves and their celebrity i don't know if we'll ever learn if it's like some oasis shit and they just hate each other now i don't know if that's like the case or if we'll ever find out if that is even possible you know potential but yeah it's weird it's 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 weird news right but they they confirmed in the only way they could i guess yeah it was incredibly daft punk fashion like i mentioned and i think your your two thoughts are in the, the right direction my, my first thought was they must have had some difference in terms of how they either wanted to go about making music or what they wanted to be doing um they've worked with a lot of really high profile acts you know i think most recently people probably remember the work that they did with the weekend on starboy and a couple other tracks off um what's that weekend album yeah it's starboy i feel yeah, like Cummings, the, the, the big yeah, collab there the big one and then um you know obviously kanye back in the late 2000s and you know a lot a couple other people here and there um but i i think what's what's I'm most looking forward to with all this is like you said, if we ever get that like documentary or that biography um, kind of telling the story of, of what happened here, they're so secretive and they, they've intentionally been that way, you know, spoken publicly about how um, part of what they enjoy about art is the keeping an illusion around it and not wanting people to really know too many things. And just, like you said, it just feels like it very easily could have just gone on and, they didn't have to do this. So it, it either feels very planned, like a, like a publicity stunt, or really like they're just like, we just need to 
end this for one reason or another. So uh, a lot of mystery still around it and probably not going to give any satisfying answers, but uh, RIP to maybe one of the most legendary acts that was still around. I mean, you think about obviously like the great rock acts and now some of the legacy hip hop acts, but in EDM, I mean, is there really anyone else that rivals to them in terms of stature? I don't know. Tiesto maybe like, yeah, some of those. Yeah, I, I think Daft Punk is kind of like weird. Cause they crossed over, right. They're, they're very firmly within that deep house scene, but also completely separated from that. And were mm-hmm. part of mainstream music culture when they chose to be, um, and also, like, you know, the way they conducted themselves, not doing a lot of press, not just being mysterious, the helmets, like, it, it all lent itself to, like, a cool, like, cult of personality as far as, like, DJs are concerned. Um, you know, and obviously Dead Mouse kind of followed suit with that that mm-hmm. idea as well. Um, I mean, I don't know, like, I'm trying to think, like, music-wise, like, do you think Random Access Memories, like, like s- stuck around? I feel like it was hugely celebrated 2013, 2014, but, like, I don't I don't remember it being like as high as people might have expected on the decade on music list, you know? Like I feel like it kind of faded a little bit. If it, to me, I mean I like it and love the album at the time though. To me, that's actually I think most memorable to me for reintroducing Pharrell Williams as a solo act, obviously with Get Lucky, Reading Record of the Year, and then leading directly into uh Pharrell's uh that solo album he put out in twenty fourteen. That's kind of I think what I remember most of all about that time. Yeah, no, that I think that that's a really good point. Um, yeah, no, I don't think it really had the staying power that it had. Although I still think when a, like Get Lucky comes on, people will can probably really count back to the, the time and, and how much that just really like captured the radio play. Um, I was I was given a look over today and uh, playing a couple of the the deeper cuts off it, um, and I. I think that it's actually still a really great album. If you go back and listen to it, it was definitely one that I I found myself listening to a lot at that time. Um, You know, they had a lot of really good star turns on that. Uh, Julian Casablanca's, I think, has a really good showing on that album. It's quite popular still. Check those streams. So uh, it's still good, but it's weird. Like when I think about Daft Punk, I rarely ever really think about their albums as a whole. And then maybe that's more of like the time we came from. And if we were more like, uh, 90s into early 2000s music people like that was our heyday maybe we would be like no like you know yeah. the, the first when you had to buy like, the album to listen to it yeah right <laughs> obviously um but I, I think the hits really stand out and that's why if you if anyone wants to go back and like really get into like the early daft punk stuff at this time i really do recommend going to their uh grammy winning um 2007 alive um album which is just like uh it's a live album where they uh, it was their second and last tour, and it won for Best Electronic Album. And you really get a sense of not only the the major hits from before, you know, One More Time, um, Bigger, Faster, Stronger, but you also kind of get a sense of, like, what Daft Punk could do live and why, like, their their Coachella sets and their shows in Paris with the, the Pyramid are so legendary because no one created a sound like that. No one was able to mix live like they did. If you read about how they made the sets, like very revolutionary for the time where they had all these different uh, laptops and pads that were right, yeah. linked up. Sure. It was just DJ's incredible. Awesome. So it's, it's definitely just a great listen through. We gave it a spin today. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have a favorite Daft Punk song? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I'm in the similar boat where I really know of the singles because I became aware of them first via the singles. And right. I mean, yeah, uh, 
three of their four albums came out before I was in high school. So I think mm-hmm. that makes it's pretty, pretty understandable. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the, kind of the obvious stuff, right? Technologic, the funk. Yeah. Um, one more time, harder, better, faster, stronger, which I didn't even know was a Daft Punk song. I don't think I knew Daft Punk was when I heard Stronger and mm. Kanye sampling that. So that was kind of like a cool thing. They, oh, not only is that a really recognizable sample, but it's from a really famous DJ too. Interesting, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, in terms of uh, deep cuts on random access memory, the doing it right uh, yeah. stuck around for me. Doing it right is, I think, one of the the best ones. I also uh, I like fragments of time a lot off that one, and also uh, lose yourself to dance is probably my favorite music video uh, off all those hits. Um, but yeah, the Daft Punk legendary. Check them out. Uh, I'm hoping we'll see them again sometime in the future. I will go to the festival and watch them wherever they get that. I just hope they do, they're doing something, even if it's not necessarily what they've been doing. Because they're, they're again, they're only in their late forties. I hope they don't just disappear into anonymous retirement. Yeah, and isn't there not a that Tron they haven't earned it? But I just hope they selfishly do more. And I, I, with Tron, there's a Tron three. I think that's supposed to be coming out in the future. So I'm yeah, surprised that that's a Disney Plus planned release. Yeah, yeah. Wonder if they're even going to be attached or not anymore. Interesting to see. Uh, but Dave. We should now go to a, uh, I don't know, I don't even really know the best way to tee this up because it's it's like the, the least surprising, surprising news story ever. The Golden Globes are corrupt and uh, they use their, their status, these 90 people, to grease their own palms. Ooh, big surprise. But um, the LA <laughs> Times had really two articles that came out over the weekend. One that was like an investigative piece kind of looking at um uh this court uh I don't know, appeal or or that that's going currently ongoing after a, a or yeah case was brought and shot down beforehand where this person wanted to be put into the hollywood for, foreign press and felt like they were being basically like blackballed out of it right and uh it has led to some of the issues with the hollywood foreign press association being highlighted um, and then another article kind of exposing or talking about the people who are actually in the Hollywood foreign press. And um, generally, what are what, did you, what were your takeaways from these articles? Anything that really like stood out to you? Anything that was notable? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it was illuminating just for shedding like finer detail on things people have kind of openly known and talked about because I, I looked back we've we said the golden globes didn't matter like the past three <laughs> years and so as many people this is not a new thought mm-hmm. the, 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 they've been openly mocked for their lack of credibility the hfba mm-hmm. and, and and also uh criticized for their shadowy nature as this cabal of foreign journalists less than 100 of them no one really knows who they are they're not well-known media people it's 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 one thing if it was like a.o scott at the new york times and david Ehrlich at indiewire famous mm. movie critics and richard brody from the new yorker you know one of the probably the less <laughs> legendary guy we have at this time who critiques movies it's not that it's, it's no one close you have no idea who any of these people are and the la times report kind of hammered home that yeah a lot of these people like barely even work in foreign hollywood media mm-hmm. so it's like well, what the fuck is, is is going on here and then but then i think it's important to remember that the golden globes is still a relatively popular event as far as things are concerned it's like 20 million viewers every year and you know 
apart from live sports, that's really fucking high these days. You know, people yeah. care and you can tell we still we know this. We, we, we've known this forever and you can see the evidence that uh, the Golden Globes are seen as good marketing for movies that have awards prospect because this is the mm-hmm. second most viewed of awards night for movies and TV. This is watched more than the Emmys, even though we give the Emmys way more credibility for television, you know? Mm. So I think just seeing this detail and seeing like some HFPA members being, uh, you know, named and explained what they do and don't, don't do professionally. uh, was, was illuminating. I, I guess like the take, there's no new takeaways. We already knew all this stuff, but like, I think just seeing it out in the open is good. And, there's talk that like this pressure could amount to something a lot. Let's hope, but yeah, it's uh not too surprising, unfortunately. Yeah. The, uh, it, I think the fact that it's gaining traction is a bit surprising because uh, similar to like, and this is going to be a weird comparison. I I'm going to caveat this similar to like the Woody Allen documentary that came out where people are like, Oh my God, Woody Allen. Like, well, he, yeah, he's totally canceled now. It's like, Bro, we've known this. Like, we know he's not a good dude. We know that. The, yeah, we know that the Hollywood Foreign Press is a corrupt organization of like ninety people who have this uh, huge status only because of the timing. And I think because they also know how to do an award show the way people want to see stars, where they're kind of a lot of times they're drunk, they're mm-hmm. a little bit more candid than they are at these other ceremonies. Yeah. It's a little bit small looser. room. They're yeah, very social. That's like the whole point, right? So it, it, I think people just enjoy watching because they see stars in a different setting than they do for the rest of the time. But it's, it's just uh, the problem I think I have with the Hollywood Foreign Press at least this year, and and kind of goes back to an issue they have in the past years. It's just the choices that they make in nominating yeah. and who wins. Um, we, we highlighted this in our past review, but the Five Bloods, Ma Rainey, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, not you know, receiving any nominations as well as uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, mm-hmm. Just a, it's, it's on a TV huge... side, I may destroy you. Right. Shut, completely like, shut out, which is uh, ludicrous. Yeah. These, these shows and films that are excellent, but have black stars and creators at the mm-hmm. forefront, not being awarded is the issue I have this year. I don't, I don't right. really care because nothing else is new. Right. And I, th- I think, you know, confirming it from that LA Times report, there are no black members in yeah. the HFPA. There are other people of color, but there's no specifically black members. It's like, huh. Yeah, may- maybe that has something to do with it. They have a really bad track record with honoring uh, black art. They also have a bad track record with women. This is the first year they've nominated, I think, more than two women at a time. Like The list of women they've even nominated for Best Director is like five names before this year. You know, last Now three they- of them are, I think. Yeah, right. right. So Fennell, uh Regina King, and Chloe Zhao this year. Yeah. But um, and yeah, they said that they're working to improve now. But like again, like you mentioned, the reason this is all coming up is because that court case, and like you have this ethics, all this, this these ethical things where HFBA wants to remain exclusive and shadowy. They don't want qualified, actual qualified people that work in and around film to join and actually lend credibility and credence to this organization. They're not interested in that. They're just trying to hang out with celebrities and get glad handed and sent and used for marketing. They're very happy to be used, right? Like you hear you, one of the biggest criticisms this year was that Emily in Paris got multiple nominations on the TV front, uh, a show that's noted for not being good. Um, also weird that the foreign press would nominate something that's such like a really stereotypical 
white American goes abroad thing. Like it, it, mm-hmm. it, there's not a lot of a lot of good things to say about Emily in Paris critically, right? Yet we found out in this report that oh yeah, they um wined and dined. Emily in Paris, the production, uh, Netflix, and uh, Petting Paramount was involved with it. They they wined and dined like 30 HFPA members and put them up at a five star hotel in Paris and visit the set and stuff. And not that media is in, uh, invited to the set all the time. That's that's common. But like to like pointedly bring the HFPA to your set when they're not going to make any valuable media coverage to promote your work out of it you're just gonna reward them later with a globe nomination like it it's just so obvious you know yeah i really wish just one of these like awards like sag or something like that uh would just move their show before the golden globes i feel like that would like change a lot of the storyline around them because it Mm -hmm. being the first one really just gives them so much uh i don't know momentum i guess people want to see this they're interested i don't know yeah it, it, i think that it's really tough too because we had other awards right like you have the like the gotham awards yeah. and you have in all the critics groups and stuff but like none of that is ever going to like be a television event like and mm-hmm. i don't think the guild awards can really approach that either so i think you, you need hollywood buy-in to stop caring about the globes and have a report even say that if hollywood didn't care about the benefits that the globes provide then things would change, but it seems mm-hmm. like, you know, we'll keep rolling with it. So that's unfortunate. But in the meantime, we can just continue to remind people that the voting body is not representative of any of the other voting bodies. Right? Sad. We got SAG nominations. That's the first thing that's any kind of representation of what the Oscars have become. So it's always important to remember that the Globes really have no bearing on much of anything besides yep. uh, helping market movies. The Golden Globes are the Grammys of movies. So, unfortunately, uh, even though the Grammys (laughs) should be the Oscars. Anyways, why don't we switch to some music right now? We're going to talk about Shiny uh, with their comeback album, Don't Call Me, the seventh album. Shiny is an interesting K-pop group. Um, Interesting because I think, you know, they, they formed 2008, had a lot of success, and then the last couple of years have had some really challenging times um 2017 jong hyun one of their members uh died of an apparent suicide um you know the the group decided to stay together and and, uh just kind of stay as the four of them now um 2018 uh they released another album but then they kind of had to go on a bit of a hiatus because uh, i believe one or two of the members had to fulfill their military obligation yeah three of the four finished their military service last year yeah so it's it's been an interesting up and down couple of years um but you know finally they're they're back with this new album don't call me and dave what are your what do you think is this album a good comeback album i did like the album yes um and you see you see online today there's a lot of hype and anticipation for shiny's back uh you know, that's the thing on some of their other tracks when they make comebacks before Shiny's back, right? But Shiny being back now is a big deal because, again, first time since uh, uh, Junyun died, right? For And, like, the 2018 album was the last time he, any of his vocals were on music. So this is the first time it's, like, new of just the, just the four members that remain. And, you know, that, that, that's a pretty long wait for active K-pop act. You cite the military service. You know, K-pop 
members having their military service and doing like a second contract with their labels uh that that's no sure thing in the history of k-pop music right and mm-hmm. um i think it would have been pretty easy to see like shiny dying off because uh Taman, who did not do his military service yet is like incredibly active still he just had a solo album come out last year and he was part of super m which is the sm entertainment you know, k-pop super group which he's one of the members so i wouldn't have been surprised to see like the, sh- the shiny group fade away and Taman just do super m stuff and solo stuff right because you said it came out in 2008 13 years there, there there's there's very little track record for a k-pop group sticking around in, mm-hmm. in full for that long a time like again like they're they're a second generation k-pop act debuted in the 2000s yeah. right like <laughs> there's very few left that uh are even like peers for them right like everything else that we talk about now like acts that are marketed to the west bts blackpink like uh even xo nct those are clearly 2010s acts so shiny is a bit of a relic in that regard um and i i I like listening to this album because uh from what i gathered i'm I'm relatively new to the group i I really became aware of them from tamen being in super m the past two years um hearing hearing i think like the 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 trademark uh shiny sound which is a lot more r&b focused than a lot of the other uh k-pop i've been listening to lately was pretty cool but i was surprised with just about how how much uh, range there was on this 30 minute album so i I liked it quite a bit yeah i agree i it for being a short album and you know shout out to short albums um i i really thought it was like banger after banger especially for the first half probably um i think near the you know last couple of tracks i started to kind of lose a little bit of interest um and i find that with myself with k-pop uh albums a lot only because i think the the like k-pop nature where it's like this like pop edm sound sometimes Mm -hmm. just ends up uh falling in the same sameness category to me but i really thought like the first track don't call me yeah. uh marry you code kiss kiss like i was like all right like we, we got some variation on here but it's all really hitting right now w- which tracks were standing out to you yeah i definitely like don't call me the title track yeah. the music video came out today for that from what i gathered that's new for them because you know, hip-hop uh has not been like much to their music to this point that's clearly a hip-hop influenced k-pop track um and i think it's really good the video is pretty cool too um Taman is is quite a good dancer. If you check those videos out, you'd see that. Um, I also thought body rhythm was really catchy, um, and just like little production choices. Like I think the the baseline and attention is really good. Um, the vocoder, like vocal effects on kind at the very end, like really really cool. Um, and I really want you. Like I think the the chorus is really catchy there. Um, you said marry me definitely more classic for them r&b focused thing but the harmonizing is like really impressive on that one yeah so i i think there's a lot a lot of tracks worth revisiting yeah mary you kind of reminded me of uh talk by khalid a little bit with like mm. the way the the beat sure. was structured um i liked code a lot that just seems like a very like k-pop style banger but like uh, just right around the chorus like the way that everything just kind of like blaring i thought was really cool um yeah and then kiss kiss is a little bit more toned back but uh i i I just for those types of like 
lo-fi or i don't even know if it's lo-fi but like r&b popish sounds that, that you find on some of these k-pop albums i really thought this one stood out it was really sweet so um yeah a really impressive comeback i think and um uh, hopefully they're uh, a group that sticks around the elder statesman of k-pop it seems yeah no i agree and i said it before but they really haven't targeted the west throughout their career i mean they've made both korean and japanese albums and have found success in both countries but i'm so i i'm just going to be checking to see if there's a change in their strategy over at sm if they want shiny to be big in the u.s are they even going to bother like i feel like the inception of k-pop groups like if a group is just founded they'll kind of like announce the label like we are targeting the west with these with these guys these girls right so I like shiny because because they're OGs as far as the genre is concerned. Like, you know, like what what do they want to do? Who knows, right? Because Super M definitely targeted for the West, right? Um, and like I I just just looking at how SM Entertainment operates. You know, we haven't really talked about them before. You know, YG is Blackpink, Big Hit, who's relatively nascent, is obviously BTS. But SM, they're like the universal music group when it comes to K-pop. They have like everybody else exo mm-hmm. nct wavy red velvet girls generation loaded loaded mm-hmm. label and the fact that they could pull off something like super m is really cool like what other music label whatever try and like make a brand new pop group because they have so many other pop acts that take talent from right like it's mm-hmm. a really cool idea um so yeah i i just i want to see what's next for shiny and and sm in the in the west well, uh, definitely check out Don't Call Me, the seventh album from Shiny. Um, but Dave, why don't we move on to someone that's being called the next greatest thing out of Staten Island since Wu-Tang Clan, the the, uh, the heir to the New York drill scene, uh, send, you know, taking that over from Pop Smoke, R.I.P., potentially one of the biggest up-and-coming artists that New York has seen in quite some time, C.J., dropping his ep uh loyalty over royalty now uh i, I know that i'm just reading the the picture on your screen right now and i'm just kind of finding it ridiculous with with that face um no the the album or the ep is loyalty over royalty but i'm just like whew, dave cj what do you think yeah i mean you have to start with uh whoopty which is his uh big hit song came out summer 2020 got re-released once he signed to warner uh peaked at number 10 in the hot 100 uh last month or so making it the biggest uh brooklyn drill song ever when it comes to chart placement and just you know national spread and uh growth and whatnot and it had a bit of a tiktok rise but like i looked like i I don't think it was like a huge TikTok hit. I think it just kind of got like really pushed because CJ comes across as incredibly manufactured. You look, his uncle is James Cruz, a veteran label executive. You can kind of see the strings and the fact that he got signed off off of one, one real big hit. That's not new, but like you can just kind of see that like CJ was clearly like pushed down the drill path because he had other music here and there including a song from 2018 with Takashi69 where he's not making drill music because drill music uh, was, you know, not wasn't popular, wasn't popular outside of Brooklyn at the time. Right. 
you know. <laughs> so you listen to Whoop D, like yeah, it's a it's a tight Brooklyn drill song. It's sam- sampling a uh, Bollywood sample that's been used before by people like King Von. But either way, it's a good sample, and like it's just a one verse track. It's really tight and it's catchy. I get it, and it does go hard, but like the lack of authenticity is just so evident. And then when you listen to the rest of the loyalty over royalty EP, I think that thought will carry over because it's not like he just does all drill stuff. And again, this is like mm-hmm. backward facing drill stuff, which also makes it annoying. Like, it, like we talked about chef G last year and how he was kind of mm-hmm. moving forward. The biggest loss of pop smoke musically was because he clearly had so much more to give and grow in music as a whole. Right. Five year foreign really nascent but like that big drip is authentic as fuck right mm-hmm. cj is just making like 2019 drill music why like why, why is it working for him i don't know i don't understand but like yeah. again less than the rest of the ep there's also some melodic stuff here he also is copying little tj and a boogie other new york rap stars mm-hmm. so i don't know what his identity is supposed to be he's just throwing shit at the wall um i was surprised to see that much variety on this to be honest yeah, you know, I, I think that's the thing that stood out to me listening to this is it seems like there's a lot of of different kinds of sounds throughout. You know, um, even you go from the first two tracks, politics to set. Set is uh, a lot more vibey, I think, and, and uh, kind of uses some of the like auto tune sound that Kanye used back in like late 2000s. And sure. that doesn't yeah. even sound su- like it's super recent but it's like he's just kind of like trying some stuff here and uh i think that that's kind of the uh the story as you're kind of, as you're highlighting here is you know i think some people are saying cj is just like a scene chaser and just trying to like catch the moment i don't really knock him for that he's trying to break into uh music and become popular and he, you know this is the game right now you need to get a hit on the radio uh He's got some family that helps him out. He's not going to be the first uh, singer or musician ever whose family is helping them become famous because they're they're rich or they have clout. And if if he gets famous off one of these things, good for him. I I just I didn't think it was particularly good music, but I was like, yeah, you know, yeah. good for him. When I first heard Whoop D before was, I think a national hit. Like it became pretty big in New York. And again, whether that was organic or not, it did become big in New York. Um, I was just struck as a 2-2-G's fan just how blatant that sounded like 2-2-G's flow. Mm. Like, dude, and I, I just get annoyed because 2-2-G's is good, is more or less the founder of Brooklyn drill music, but has not become popular outside of New York. And I don't think that's fair or right that you can just kind of jack his whole thing and, and get it to work. Again, not a new phenomenon, this kind of thing happening, but it's like, ah, you know. G's actually gave a quote the other day that CJ gives off some six nine energy, and I'm like, eh, you're not wrong. I guess he he definitely seems to be a better person at least right now. He has a lot less quotes out there anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess yet the thing to look for now is what else does he have another hit off this EP? If not, I assume he'll put out some shit pretty quickly to keep going because otherwise, I think he'd fade away pretty fast. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you're looking for, I think, where Drill is going, as opposed to where Drill has been in the case of CJ, I think look out for Busy Banks. He'll be the next one we'll be talking about when he drops next. But yeah, this, um, it, it, to me, it was a little disheartening 
listening mm. to uh whoop d because again i was like oh, the 22g's comp is just so obvious but like 22g's like he's the founder cj's the chaser it's just frustrating yeah uh i think the message as always is that staten island is trash man just like straight <laughs> up trash like legitimately trash but um yeah why don't we move on from cj into a very similar topic supernova the harry mcqueen <laughs> movie uh which is maybe actually the most different thing we could be talking about because this follows the two very affluent white men um who are uh married um for about 20 years or i guess partners 20 years maybe not officially married um and they are uh dealing with one of them uh tusker played by stanley tucci um developing alzheimer's and um kind of exploring what that end of his life end of their relationship is going to look like the uh, other partners played by colin firth mm-hmm. whose character's name is sam and this is a short movie it's like about 90 minutes but i thought it was a really affecting 90 minutes that harry mcqueen um helms here in his second film and um you know even if i i think there were a couple of of things i wish had been fleshed out a little bit more i found this to be um i found this to be a more delightful look at someone in this sort of situation um than vigo mortensen's movie which we reviewed recently covering a similar uh type of Mm. scenario so um and we'll be talking about a similar scenario when we see the father in a couple of weeks so uh dave supernova did you like it yeah it's a good point to compare it to falling from vigo because that's like all like the obvious like in your face negativity of Mm. what happens when someone you love is experiencing dementia but that movie also had a lot of like flashback scenes trying to trying to flush out things i think too much and like holding the audience's hand and not focusing on i think the more interesting aspects of its story supernova is really straightforward there is very little plot it's Mm -hmm. really just dialogue for the most part in some like you know expressive landscape shots and looking at the stars and you know supernovas right but like right uh and the key the key to the movie's success is that firth and tucci are really good yeah uh, they, they, they have a long-standing like real life friendship for like about two decades i think at this point from what i was reading and like you can tell that like this is like a really warm relationship you believe these characters mm-hmm. have just been together a long time it, it, like it, it makes sense so seeing these these conversations be the only thing holding the movie up because they're really the only thing in the movie. Uh, it, it all seems to come together pretty well. Um, I think for me, I think I would have liked it more if I, I like, did you think there was like a, like an exciting inciting incident for this conflict? It kind of just felt like a kind of a gradual build because there is a little bit of vagueness about Tucci's condition both of their plans for each other like it's kind of like things are hinted at throughout the plot but like it's just kind of like steadily like moving as they they talk to each other yeah i mean i I definitely think it's it's a gradual build i i think i would have liked and this is gonna sound weird as well but i would have liked if they had explored tucci's decision to um take his own life a little bit more like i feel like that kind of gets discovered in like the last third like the last act and then it's kind of uh discussed briefly um and and decided upon quickly about 
you know, whether he's going to go through with it or not. And I, I think that's actually a really interesting issue and one that has been a, um, you know, an issue of debate globally. Um, and, you know, certainly the United States has been something, um, uh, you know, whether people in these sorts of conditions should have the opportunity to end their life uh, on their terms. And, um, you know, especially like you said, when this relationship is so obviously so well uh, shown in the movie and, and acted out by these two, I feel like there was just so much more meat on the bone, you know, like, especially yeah. if this had been something that they had been talking about prior to going to Sam's sister's house or something along those lines, it really would have given them an opportunity to like have that back and forth. Whereas Tucci was just kind of like, no, I'm doing this. And then it was about first kind of coming to terms with that and, um, I just felt like there, it could have been a little bit more, but it, so you you felt like the there wasn't like something that really brought the conflict to the to the yeah. Forum. Well, I think that's the thing is like the relationship comes across as like really authentic and like it, everything makes sense to me, but because there's really no exposition in this movie at all, right. I think because you're just kind of thrown into just a moment in this relationship, mm-hmm. you just kind of have to go with it, and I think that just naturally lends itself to some vagueness. That's all, right. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I also really wish that we had gotten to see a little bit of the aftermath. And I know that they kind of leave it a little bit more um, open-ended, which I, right. I appreciate those endings. But I'm always fascinated by how these sorts of things would impact, you know, the, like a decision like that would impact um, the, the tertiary characters in this story, so to speak. But um yeah, you know, I, it was really thoughtful, and I, I, I kind of liked the, um, the use of the stars. I think as a way of kind of like framing the way he was like talking about what's beyond and kind of thinking about his own life. And um, I also kind of liked how they use this, um, this creative juice that they each had or or have lost in some sense as a way of kind of demonstrating where they each were at in terms of this um really this relationship with this illness and how it was impacting them both and obviously you see at the end Firth is able to play in front of others when he wasn't really sure he'd be able to do that again to the same level and um I just thought I thought some of the uh the metaphor and symbolism really came across well in this um any moments or scenes or anything that stood out to you that you want to touch on before we wrap up hmm I, mean, I really like like the, the the shots of the lakes, lake country in England's really mm. nice. Um, I, I guess the the moment early on where uh, Tucci's character is like, "Yeah, I know, I didn't pack the pills. I, I didn't forget them. I just didn't pack them. Here's why." Like that kind of like plants the seeds for what's to come. Well, that was well done because again, like yeah, I feel like all the moments, all like the key scenes where they're really talking back and forth, it all feels like real conversations people would have, you know, it's not, again, like I think just juxtaposing this with falling where there's like so much like direct action being communicated via conversations Mm -hmm. for the sake of the audience. Like it's quite a stark comparison. Yeah. I I think the scene that stood out to me is probably the showiest one is the the dinner scene where Tucci gets up to give the speech and can't really like read or like make it out. And for had kind of has to read his own words and just the way it really impacts him and he kind of crumbles and that scene is so well done i, I really thought they were both great but i really thought firth was putting on a, a acting clinic in this one so mm-hmm. um 
yeah, a delightful little film. It's uh, VOD right now, but worth checking out, I'd say. Any last thoughts? You know, this is this is one in the like a basket of a bunch of movies right now where it's like because of COVID, I think these movies just get put out in like late January and February this year because they're still technically eligible for the Oscars. But I think of this, I think of the Mauritanian coming up and the world to come coming up and uh, falling, you know, recently, like a lot of these movies, like you feel like they had, they might've actually had some like awards juice if they just came out a little earlier, but like not possible at this point, it's too late. Yeah. We're going to be getting to one of the, uh, one of the movies that does have some awards juice in a second. But before we do, let's jump to a Netflix movie that did this, this receive a golden globe. No, I don't think Rosamund Pike nominated for best actor in musical or comedy at the that's, upcoming golden globes for, I care a lot. Yeah. And that's uh that's an interesting thing. I guess this would be labeled as a, uh, a dark comedy. Yeah. Definitely. Um, uh, you know, Rosamund Pike plays, uh, Marla Grayson, who is this, um, I don't know, award, a guardianship person um, whose whole job is to watch over the elderly when they can't take care of themselves. But the twist is um, she's basically running a grift where her and this doctor and this, uh, uh, what is it, investigator? What What's her lover's role, I guess, in all of this? Unclear. Isaac yeah. Gonzalez's character. Um I wanted more from her. We'll save that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. But they basically take these um, older people who are in very vulnerable situations, but maybe not ready to need guardianship in their life. And they um, kind of take everything from them by uh, gaming the judicial system. And, um, you know, she gets caught into this ring. She picks the wrong old lady and the Russian mob gets involved. It's a bit, you know, a bit convoluted, I think in, in some way, but um, definitely a interesting movie. I think there's a lot to say. And I guess I want to start with Dave. Did you enjoy? I care a lot. So I think it's really well made and like has like a nice slick pace to it. And there's like really funny moments, but and I think the, the very ending does a really good job of bringing the movie back around. Um, and I really needed that for me. Um, but there's like a, there's like a fatal flaw to me with with the way the movie started trending, especially towards like Act Three. I think the the, the premise and like the build up is like really great. And like this is Pike, you know, getting back to where she really broke out, obviously as Amy in Gone Girl. Yeah, damn, almost seven years ago at this point, right? It's like kind of that like sociopathic, strong female character, right? Mm-hmm. I think the problem with I care a lot is that because it does a really good job early on of highlighting that she is a grifter. She is a scumbag. She's taking advantage of people, old people, usually um, normal old people and just abusing them and t- making money off them. Right. Um, that That's made clear. But then the movie starts trying to like sim- make you feel sympathetic to her and care about her character versus just letting her be a bad person. I have no problem watching bad people be bad. We do this all the time. Some of the best movies are about bad people. But like, why did you have to try and make her likable? Cause she wasn't. Mm-hmm. And thankfully that final ending, bringing it all back to that first guy she gets in the argument with or whatever. Um, thank God that happened. Cause Lisa's like, okay, the movie did know that she was bad still by the end, but man, like, I did not like how that tone shifted. You know, it's like, Oh, well she's taking advantage of the mafia now. So 
we should side with her. It's like, no, I still don't like her. Like, why can't I just watch bad people versus bad people? You know, like I, that rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. Yeah. Whenever they tried to sympathize with her, and I'm trying to think of, of like a good example of how they tried to create the sympathy for her in the film. Can you, is there a scene well, that you can recall? Well, honestly, I thought like the, the kind of like the girl boss, like, I'm a yes. woman, fuck the men shit was awfully tacked on. Like it only came up in a few conversations. It's like, oh, I'm supposed to like her because of that. It's like, yeah, it's like coming off of promising young woman. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't like this, this tact, you know? And it's like, it's not, it has nothing to do with it being, you know, women thing. I, I think, but let's think back to something like Wolf of Wall Street, scumbags, Jordan Belfort and the crew taking advantage of people, but the movie never, tries to hide that from you or change your mind it just portrays in a funny way so you enjoy the ride watching them be shitty and then they get what's coming to them right but yeah. I, I think because we had to make grayson like sticking it to the man thing i i feel like that if, if we had removed that element even i think it, it's just a lot tighter yeah i i was gonna say every time they would kind of try to create some sympathies for her. I, I would always remember what you can see when, when Dave speaks and YouTube shows him, which is this board of these faces of these people that she's grifting basically, and that she has ruined their lives to uh, make money for herself. And um, most of those people are innocent. You know, <laughs> they, they probably did bad things in their life, but they weren't people that deserve to have their entire livelihoods taken away. And I think by far the, the most sympathetic character for me is um you know the the older woman um uh played by was it diane weist was that yep. who it was yeah diane weist, Je so jennifer peterson yes and um watching her be given the the order from the judge the emergency order for guardianship and seeing just like her whole life taken from her in front of her eyes um was just so it, it was destroying in a lot of ways and thinking about other other older people who might have been might have been in similar situations who uh, were put through that was just really heavy and you know it's the kind of thing where you almost hope this is just something that they came up with for this movie and that there's not actually grifts like this that go on but i would not be shocked if things like this happen throughout the country um and it really i think just made me despise Marla a lot and I think I found myself one of the issues I had was I, I didn't feel like I really had anybody I was rooting for in yeah. the movie and that yeah. kind of left me feeling like I don't really care what happens to anybody at this point I kind of want them all to die in a sense I mean I think it, it was kind of clear like halfway through so, all right, well, there's, there's really no other way for this movie to pan out because right. we're not going to start rooting for uh, like Peter Dinklage's character just showing up like, like the way the conflict was set up there was no and that that's why I was like having such a tough time watching the movie end because I was like oh like I understand structurally why it went this way, but like the tone was just really killing me. And like, mm -hmm. I was like, thankful, like when that twist happens, I'm like, okay. Like again, like the movie at least understood. It's like, no, no, God, what's coming to you? She is bad. And I was like, okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I yeah. Just, if the movie is well made and like, it's still pretty tight. Like, I feel like there were some tweaks. This could have been really great. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I still think there's a lot to like about the movie. 
you know, I'm is that because I, I realize I'm being too negative and like the next my next thought is no one dies in this movie. You know, like <laughs> they all like, are go through these things that should kill a normal human being. Like when Marla is uh, drives her car or doesn't drive, but is forced to drive her car into a lake and goes like probably like 200 feet down and somehow is able to like, kick her way out of it. I'm like, oh, so she's just also Superwoman now. Um, yeah, she definitely okay. should have drowned. <laughs> Yeah, or Eliza Gonzalez's character, Fran, somehow survives, like, being beaten and uh, just being right. in a house where the gas is running for, like, hours. That uh, didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I, I, I when after uh, Grayson survived, I'm like, okay, Fran will be dead then. It's like, right. oh, no, she's not dead either? Shit. <laughs> it's like, you know, like, like I, I actually didn't recognize Eliza Gonzalez at first. Like, you know, the hair's a little different, like, and she spoke about like trying to get beyond like just doing like femme fatale roles and stuff. So good on earth is definitely a little different speed than what we're used to seeing from her. Um, but I thought the role was still kind of a little thankless because they, they didn't actually give her as much to do. I thought they were setting up her leaving Marla because Marla was like addicted to the griff. She wouldn't get out, you know, uh, when danger was close. I thought that would drive them apart and it didn't actually brought them together. And I was like, huh? Mm-hmm. yeah i, I th- their relationship was a bit frustrating to me only because i i again i wanted one of them to be a good person this is just a movie of a lot of bad people um which i think might explain some of the scenes i found the most enjoyable which was a lot of the action scenes like that first one where they try to shoot jennifer peterson out of the nursing home and you know yeah. like the uh the oxygen tank goes flying and takes out one of the guys i thought was i thought that was really fun um i really liked the uh, for as much as I bagged on the car scene a second ago, I thought that was still like a well shot and like I was like okay mm-hmm. like this all makes sense like the the showdown where they're um, you know holding her in the construction area whatever it is, um, so I I think those like scenes where she, she goes undercover even when she like uh, goes and kidnaps Peter Dinklage from his uh home like almost like a heist scene so to speak i thought those were really well done i thought the courtroom scenes were a lot of fun and just like cool to see how marla was going to get herself out of it um so there's a lot to like here i think just maybe some tweaking of the the characters could have really leveled this movie up any anything that really stuck to you that you liked oh yeah i I think i think pike's good again it's reminiscent of gone girl but she's good at this kind of stuff you know um, kind of cool to see her come back around because she'd definitely been doing different stuff. I'd point people to A Private War where she plays the journalist Mary Colvin who died in Syria. I think that's definitely much different than this kind of thing, but she is kind of good at this. And I think this is this is definitely her lane of playing like the, not just an independent woman, but someone who, um, you know, can scheme and stuff like that. It definitely fits. Um, yeah. And yeah, no, I agree about like the, the uh, the assisted living like heist attempts and stuff like that um like it, it, again the movie's pretty tight i think it, it's fun um and i think the, the less you think about it probably the better it is honestly yeah also shout out to diane weist because that that scene where she's like really hopped up on the over over medication that they gave her and she's mm-hmm. like yeah it's just like you made the worst mistake of your life or whatever it is uh just really creepy and just a really well acted scene so i i appreciate her in all these roles check it out it's on netflix uh, i care a lot and also check out nomadland because as the golden glows will be coming up soon we'll probably be seeing this potentially winning an award there at least being mentioned for nominations and this 
is a front runner for the Academy Awards. Chloe Zhao's newest film. I think this is her third film. I'm correct. And Eternals yep. will be her fourth. Um, and interesting fact about Chloe Zhao, all of her movies are over 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, pretty interesting to see. Take that for what's worth. You know, Rotten Tomatoes just uh, aggregates the positive or negative reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nomadland follows Frances McDormand um, as uh, her character, um, Fred, uh, Fern, you know, travels from place to place, modern day nomad, um, kind of just trying to deal with her life, uh, which is, you know, riddled with grief and loss and um, uncertainty in some ways, uncertainty in others. And I, uh, I want to caveat my review by saying these sorts of films are not usually my favorite types of films. So I, I might, this might've jived a little bit less with me than it seems to have with a lot of people. Um, but I, I thought no man land was pretty good. I think it's also hurt a little bit by the fact that this has been hyped up for a lot of months as like this, uh, you know, movie that's going to blow everybody away so to speak. And I think this is a really beautiful look at a unique lifestyle that's different from many people in the country. And I think it's, it's illuminating in a lot of different ways, but I'm not sure if this was like, you know, the movie to end all movie, so to speak, this wasn't, um, I guess maybe my expectations were too high going is what I'm saying, but Dave, did you feel the same way after watching Nomadland? You know, I, I, yeah, I think it's definitely a little unconventional as far as like a best picture, uh, contender goes because there's not like a ton of like action even conflict for that matter you'd be surprised how little conflict there is for someone who's living in a van and moving from state to state seasonal job to seasonal job i'm like the threat of like danger for fern is always on the periphery but never actually presents itself so it's kind of like in the back of the mind right and it's really, obviously, it's a Frances McDormand vehicle. She was the one who optioned the book. This is based off of, and then approached Zhao about directing. So it, she wanted to make this movie. It, it's a movie about her fictional character. Um, and I really appreciated that, you know, this is, this is definitely like of a piece with Zhao's other movies where she works with other non-actors in her non-documentary movies or non-fiction films or sorry, your fictional films and, you know, like Swanky and Linda May and um, what's it? Uh, Bob, Bill Wells, whoever it was. Um, those are all real people playing fictional versions of themselves. Uh, people cited in the book, it's based off of right. Real nomads and seeing them interact with Francis Fort Fern definitely felt real and authentic. And I think that yeah. in the movie, portrays a specific kind of poverty with like so much grace and dignity and it's a it's a lot it's laughable to compare it to something that's attempting to do that like killability elegy like this is mm. at such a higher level i think that really speaks to chloe Zhao's a directorial style which we can get into but yeah um there's been a lot of hype about this movie wins the golden lion at venice last year wins the people's choice award at tiff last year hyped up as a contender it's the searchlight you know oscar movie this year mm-hmm. and i think because it, it's really somber and like closure movies uh it might not like grab 
everyone. So I definitely understand that. But yeah. I, I still I still liked it, but I just watched The Rider finally from Chloe Zhao right before this, so I kind of knew more what to expect. Yeah, th- this is a movie that really is just trying to help you feel like you're living the experience of these people. You know, and, and like you said, there there's maybe not a lot of conflict. I, I think probably the, the biggest moments of conflict come when um, something threatens this potential lifestyle, not being what Fern is going to do anymore. You know, whether it's her van breaking down and not being able to afford repairs, whether it's, um, uh, I'm sorry, David uh, Stratham's David, you know, mm-hmm. trying to convince her to settle down and, and not live this this lifestyle anymore with him and um seeing the anxiety that comes up for her and also i think the the grief that she's kind of sitting with and, and carrying with her everywhere um but then it also i think really highlights some of the aspects of this lifestyle that are so unique um you know I, it really i think highlights the connection to the land and to nature that these people believe in and and what what makes this life so appealing to them i think it really highlights this this community that feels so uh maybe like strange to think about these people kind of just like meeting up in these parking lots or these like spaces where you can just kind of like park your vans or your your vehicles Mm -hmm. and like hang out but there really is a, a kinship from this lifestyle that um i think you really get to kind of grow and understand as they highlight that most of these people have gone through some big loss, something that makes them feel like their life was too hunkered down by, you know, kind of subscribing to this capitalistic machine in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's also some moments of levity that really build out the picture, you know, whether it's them talking about how you take care of your shit, because you have to do that when you live, when you live this lifestyle. Um, It's, it's really interesting movie and and one that I think you can take a lot away from. Um, But when I think, I guess when I think about movies and I'm like, why didn't this movie maybe hit more for me? I think it's not necessarily what I would always look for in, uh, you know, a film that I was, was turning on to watch for a weekend. But um, yeah, talk a little bit more about Chloe Zhao's style. Like, what did you like about her? What stood out to you? Well, I think she's subtle. She kind of lets the lets the script do the work, <clears throat> and usually the scripts are more understated. She notably directed, wrote, and edited *Nomadland*. But even looking back to the writer, which I had or seen the trailer in the theaters, and I just kind of missed it because it didn't play in the theaters that long. I just finally watched it leading up to *Nomadland*, and it's a similar thing where like her lead performer is playing a fictional version of himself based on his own life experiences yet it's still a fictional movie. Like the fact that she can kind of pull off that stuff is like, is is really impressive to me because she's able to like communicate. So I feel like whatever she's going for so authentically. And in this case, like the writer as well, we're spending a lot of time out West at the, you know, the Badlands pop up Um, in Nomadland. We really do travel around as the name might suggest, but um, you got these amazing Vista shots and stuff too really great um but i think i think for nomadland like i've mentioned before the dignity like the grace of it all and like it's it's subtle right you mentioned there's an exciting incident for a lot of people that leads them to adapting this new way of life 
like the 2008 like financial crash is kind of referenced here as a cause and it's definitely the case for fern right where like uh empire nevada becomes a non-designated place and is effectively a real life ghost town because it was a company town and the company is gone therefore no one is left right Mm -hmm. it makes makes sense um kind of seeing that shown i think again really effective like again economically like showing the plight of people i feel like again this is a really good job as opposed to like how hillbilly elegy was like on the surface trying to tell us about appalachia you know like it's such a stark comparison yeah it really is and even thinking about like the conversations that she has one-on-one you know whether it's with uh swanky uh, i believe it was swanky the one with the birds right the yes yeah and then she gets the video from her and you just kind of sit with this video of these birds flying around and it's a really moving moment and you know seeing that kind of come back around and also realizing that swanky is gone and like what that loss means to fern in that community or was it Derek or bob i can't remember which one she has the conversation at the end whose son passed away uh from a, a suicide um but uh, it's it's near oh, the Bob. end of the film, yeah. yeah. And she's kind of then talking about her loss as well with her husband Bo, and how she feels like she has never really truly let go of him. And a lot of what she does now is you know to to honor him. And it's it's just really like it builds out these people who I think, like you said, are these people who are seen by a lot of people as like just poor people um, who are you know not really like trying to like improve their lives a lot of times and it gives them back the power i think from the that that stereotype that these are people who are making this choice because it it's right for them it's just what's right for their lifestyle and yeah uh, that that's a really that that takes a really special touch i think something zhao did really well in this film right yeah you think like early on like oh oh my mom said you're homeless and he's like no I'm, i'm just houseless but i'm good yeah fast forward to the end of the movie it's like are Fern's general motivations clear in this? I, not really. It's This is really just kind of out of the vibes. But yeah. at the end, you understand why she just can't accept settling into a relatively normal life. It's just not for her at this point. Mm-hmm. So she sneaks out and leaves before because that's all she really can do at this point. How did you feel about uh, David Straherin's character? He's the only other professional actor in the film, only the recognizable person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, he, he's been a lot of stuff he's been nominated for a lot of stuff uh, I always think of him as Novosin from Born Ultimatum personally <laughs> but um, I feel like I hadn't seen yeah. him in a while it's funny I, I, I think of him as um, Sam I get him and Sam Watterson kind of mixed up they, they're sure. very similar in my book um, how did I feel about him I, I thought he was interesting he was you know he's a bit aloof you know um, I was very angry with him when he uh, drops her plates. Um, yeah. Well, that was a devastating moment um, in the film. Um, you know, I, I, I think it, I think the movie did something really interesting, which it, it took my, my natural inclination watching a movie, wanting like the, the male and the female or, or the male and the, or the, the protagonist <laughs> and whatever their love interest to get together. Yeah. And it kind of like toyed with it, but then kind of like, by her not getting with him, I actually highlighted the right decision um, in a lot of it and uh, the right decision for Fern at least. And I thought that was really interesting. I don't know. I guess I didn't really think about his character too much as more than just like a, a vehicle to 
uh, force Fern to like, you know, consider this, this life, you know, going back to this lifestyle that she's ran away from. But what yeah. were your thoughts around him as a, well, when he came up, I was like, oh, this is probably a significant character because he's the only famous actor mm. that I've seen to this point. I should pay attention. And I saw it said in the review that he actually kind of breaks the immersion a little bit because mm. you know, he's not on Francis McDormand's level, but also McDormand's such a central figure to like see another famous person on the periphery. It's almost a little distracting. And it wasn't distracting for me, but he definitely like stood out for that real-life meta reason to me. Yeah, and... Uh... I, th- I think that also just speaks to, um, uh, and you said this a second ago, like the level of acting. Like McDormand is just on such a different level than than someone like him, and she really like melts into these characters and becomes so believable. I mean, like even like just like the close ups of her, but also like the actual people who are living this lifestyle. It's like uh, like she really looked convincing and and plays the part so well. Um, I just don't think he got down to her same level, but I also kind of just re- recognize he was more of a tool than an actual like part of the the movie. Um, yeah, I mean, what what do you think in this is gonna? What do you think the chances are for this at the award shows? I'll be nominated for best picture, best actress, I'll for best sure, director, and, and and best director. I think Zhao is probably the closest uh, win for that for sure um she's mm-hmm. kind of been the favorite to this point we'll see what happens you know at the dga and heck even the globes but like um to this point yeah it's definitely a top contender it's been billed as such um i think you know seeing like look, it, it has a lot of like the, the credibility of like a top contender we'll talk about that when we talk about our predictions for the nominee the nominations and all that but um yeah it'll be there it'll be there for sure so this that this definitely won't be fading away yeah i'm wondering if this is gonna be the uh like the oscars taking the opportunity to anoint zhao as like the next great director i mean i mentioned at the beginning of this we're gonna see her in eternals next year so she's gonna be getting that marvel Technically money end of this year still oh geez it's it's wow. later for november that, that's kind of crazy to me. I, I'm just, everything just feels like next year. Although movie theaters in New York City at 25% starting March 15th. So some signs of life. Um, but yeah, so we're going to see Zhao end of this year with Eternals. It just feels like this is something the Oscars would do, like, you know, anointing the next great one, so to speak. But yeah. uh, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's definitely a movie worth watching. It's a movie that I think will at least make you think and feel things, even if you don't love it. And most people have really liked it. So check it out on Hulu. That's it for us this week. Dave, what do we got for next week? Well, we'll be talking about, I think, the other big Oscars contender left to be released to the public. That'd be Minari, which is another movie that a lot of people really like. That'll be available on VOD for May 24. And last, uh, excited to talk about that once again. I got lucky and saw that early. Uh, we also have the Golden Globes happening. We'll see what the fuck happens there. Uh, is Jared Leto going to win for the little things? I don't know. Um, and uh, How's uh, the trunk space? <laughs> yes, nominated. Julian Baker's third album is coming out. Some advanced reviews are uh, quite positive. So excited to talk about that one. Hell yeah. And also on Hulu, we have uh, the United States versus Billie Holiday, where Andrew Day has been pegged as maybe a best actress late entrant. TBD. 
we'll check it out and we'll be talking about it. So hit that subscribe on, on youtube.com slash nostalgiapod. Follow our Nostalgia Best of 2021 music playlist. The link is in the show notes. And uh, soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod to listen to it any other way you want to. Catch you next week. Yeah.